Scott saw what he needed to see in Carl and John. Did you see the same thing right away, or did he have to kind of sell you on some of this? Well, I think one of the things uh, I I had heard about John from a couple of years before we had, you know, Neil McCarthy, the, the coach at Weber State, had mentioned to me that uh, John was uh, was a great player and uh, that uh, we should look at him. Now that's when he was a junior. And then I heard from uh, Liddell Anderson, who said he, he had seen him play and, and he had seen him at the Olympic trials. And uh, he said he should have made the Olympic team. And then I got sold on the idea that I heard Portland, who I had a lot of respect for. Portland wanted him very badly. And we were picking ahead of them. And so I said, well, the worst thing that can happen is we can pick him. And if we have to, we can trade him to Portland, you know. Uh, but then I saw him play in the uh, in the, the Chicago tryout camp, where there were a lot of a lot of quick guards and fast people and everything. And one I liked his demeanor. You know, he was. Uh, I used to say he's a Catholic school kid. You know, he was always dressed right. He was wearing a jacket on the elevator. He was, you know, the one time I met him on the elevator, he was, uh, "Good morning, coach." You know, to me, and he had a, he had a jacket on. Now he's going to breakfast. So, yeah. And so, anyway, I was sold on them. Malone was so good and so tough. And what we needed, when I saw the films of him with Jerry, we were up the little cabin I had up in uh, in Ogden Canyon for a weekend of looking at films with Scott. And Scott said, well, you don't have to worry about it. This guy won't be there when we pick. So he said, but let's take a quick look at him. So I saw him, and I saw he was a wrecking crew. And that's just what we needed. But anyway, I forgot about it because, you know, he wasn't going to be there. But lo and behold, when it came time and then we were looking at the boards and we were having the draft and uh, Scott came over and he says, he, he's falling this way. What should we do? What should we do? His coach was not a big, his college coach was not a big fan of Carl's. Really? And, uh, and Carl had, yeah. He, he, what was uh, his criticism? Well, he, he thought he was, uh, he was uh, too, too tough. He, you know, he, he wouldn't, uh, I guess they didn't get along, as, as often happens. You know, coaches in, 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 in college don't always get along with their players, you know, or, or the pros. For that matter. But anyway, when he got there, we were in a position of, hey, why not? We're pretty good. And we, and we grabbed him. And, of course, as soon as he got here, uh, we found out he was exactly what the doctor ordered, you know. And he, he brought a toughness to us that we needed. And uh, and confidence in himself, and uh, you know, great conditioning. You know, there's probably been very few athletes in the world that could match Carl Malone in quickness and speed, and how fast, he, how how quick he got into his his running. He, I mean, Lavelle Edwards pointed out to me. He said what he loved about him was how quick he got started. Mm-hmm. He said he would have been a terrific football player. <laughs> and I asked Lavelle, I said, well. What position would he play? He said anything he wanted. <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's the first thing I thought of. Wait a minute. Yeah, you yeah, can go he, tight he, end. He, would, he, would be, he, was a, he was a big Jimmy Brown. Linebacker, yeah. running back. Like, yeah, there's not yeah. there's not many positions Good that I could think of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, he, he was a poor free throw shooter. There were still a lot of things he had to learn and work on. Well, one Every, of the things he okay. did, he, he, I told him at the end of the first season as foul shooting, I said, look, at, if you, they're fouling you. He was the first of the hackershacks, you know. And uh, I said, they're fouling you on purpose. So you're going to be taken out at the end of the game, which means you're never going to be a great player. 
Uh, you could be another tough palooka like there are in this league. There are a few guys like that that can just, you know, they'll bang long enough. And But I said, if you want to be something special, you're going to have to learn to shoot. Well, he went home, and he worked on his free throw shooting, very disciplined, as he was with his weight training and his conditioning. And he also worked on his 15-foot jumper. And uh, that was it. You could throw a baseball at him with no glove, and he'd catch it. I mean, you know, he had great hands, and, uh, you know, he was he was tough around the around the basket. Mm-hmm. As, as led to the idea that I think he ended up like the second highest scorer in history. Yeah. Did you... Uh working was it in a practice or in a game when you thought to yourself watching Stockton and Malone you know we got something here that just might become legendary hall of fame and championship contender level you know later I didn't see it when I had them they were very good but when they got with Jerry and Jerry employed more than I did the high pick and roll all right which now all teams are using I thought that uh there was uh, what I said before about the coach and the players, Jerry Jerry believed in it. He opened up the middle. All right, we uh, we couldn't go inside because uh, you know uh, we had uh, we had big uh, big Mark, and uh, but we went and and for a while there when I was there we had we had Adrian Dantley so we we had the 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 key was was clogged up. We had to get the ball to Dantley, and because uh, that's where he operated. And then, uh, of course, uh, Carl Malone operated down there, and and we had Mark. So anyway, Jerry solved that by running the high pick and roll, and then you saw the great uh, Stockton to Malone, and that's when you know all the assists and and baskets started. That was uh, you know when they were breaking all the records and everything. But that was when I realized that he was uh, he was something special, you know. Did Jerry ever say to you, "Hey"? Um... Just a thought, Coach. What do we think about the high pick and roll? Did he ever like? Were there discussions and meetings? Yes, uh, I mean we, we discussed everything. Jerry Jerry was in uh, like a, he was like the offensive coach, and 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 him and Scott would work on things, and and then they'd say, "What do you think?" And well, let's take a look at it. And yeah, that's what we do. And and Phil Johnson had a lot to do with it also. And then Phil, when he was working with Phil Johnson, and and uh, had a great relationship with uh, with Jerry and Scott, and. And they they managed to do it more. I that, I I had very little to do with that, and I can't take any credit for it at all. But it was the right way for those two guys to play. Coming up with again, the Jazz were the right team for both of them to play. I went so far as to say I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if Carl Malone or John Stockton would have made the Hall of Fame if they hadn't played together. And they hadn't played together here at Utah. Yep. They might have been very good players in the league, but I don't know if playing for other coaches uh, than Jerry Sloan and Phil Johnson and Scotty Layden, they would have uh, uh, they would have made the uh, they would have uh, reached that level that they did. Well, and that's it was why, perfect. Yeah, that that's why I, when I've been talking about the. Uh, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, you know, what's happening between the two. The one thing I do try to point out to people is that there's a huge difference between chemistry and synergy. It's great when your team has both. Chemistry is also wonderful, but there's nothing like when you have synergy where two players absolutely make one another better all the time. Yeah. What, what I mean, yeah, we know the Stockton Malone combo, but were there other groups of guys where you're like, wow, I. 
you know what? One plus one plus one equals nine with this group because of the way that they play together. Yeah, well, you saw it with most good teams, all right, uh, with, with uh, you know, uh, Michael Jordan was something special, but he was surrounded with good players, you know, and, and he also had an excellent coach. You know, Phil Jackson, you know, a good coach is one who wins when he has good players. And he, he managed to make those good players that he had play together. And I think everybody on on the Bulls looked around and, and realized that, hey, I'm not better than Michael Jordan. This is where we start. You know, it's when the great Yankee teams. Nobody questioned that Babe Ruth was the best player. That was it. And I think you got to do that. There's got to be recognition that we have a role to play. And the minute we want to break down and say, I'm better than those guys, or I'm not getting enough, I'm not getting enough credit. And that's where coaching comes in. That you realize that, hey, remember I said before, the guy that under, was underrated was, was Mark Eaton and his role for the team. Well, we were constantly telling him that and, and letting everybody know how important Mark Eaton was. I mean, you know, John and Carl didn't always need all the, all the accolades after a game. We'd say, oh, what a what a great game Thurl Bailey played today, or Bobby Hanson, what a job he did on on the Michael Jordan today, Cottenham, you know. And that's how you get everybody to play together and mm-hmm. and appreciate their role. Role playing is tough, you know, but that's what makes good movies, good plays, good good baseball players, you know. Think his Davis a chance or whatever it is. Coach, you grew up in Brooklyn. Was it? Was it Sheepshead Bay? Which area specifically were you in? I grew up in the area was Fort Hamilton. Okay. It was uh, the Bay Ridge section of Brooklyn. It's right where Brooklyn takes a turn and heads out to sea. It's where the Verrazano Bridge is. It's before the Brooklyn Navy Yard, where all naval ships come to. And uh, we live right down on the Narrows. Right down on the waterway, and uh, it was uh, it was a wonderful place to live. Brooklyn's very crowded. There's five million people there, and it's bigger than some countries. And it has its own culture, and it's made up of a lot of different types of people. And you get along with one another, and you learn to get along with one another. I lived in an apartment house that had sixty families in it, and I lived on the fifth floor. No elevator, and uh, we had a little four-room apartment, and there was uh, two sisters, two older sisters, myself, and my dad. My mother died in my childbirth, so I never had a mother, and my father never remarried, and he worked on the docks. He were like a lot of Irishmen did in those days. He was second-generation Irish, and they came to Brooklyn. They stayed there, and uh, they lived and worked on the docks, as did Norwegians and and everybody else. But anyway, uh, and so I was brought up by the neighborhood, you know, and uh, I had a wonderful life. I, I never wanted for anything. And we had a, we had a really, uh, a really uh, a good life, a good childhood. Baseball was your first love. You tell me growing up. Everybody's first yeah. love in Brooklyn was baseball. Uh, now you see, you have to understand, we didn't have a lot of room for, for football fields. Uh, you know, we had cement, <laughs> and though though the high schools, uh, most of the high schools did have uh, football teams, and then uh, we had uh, baseball fields. Though were were around, we had parks, 
So everybody played baseball. They played stick ball, you know, with a rubber ball and uh, and uh, using a broom handle. And uh, then uh, what else did we do? Well, well, you know, and, and our newspaper, we had, a, we had a newspaper, the Brooklyn Eagle, which was a, uh, a, a paper like the Tribune. And uh, it uh, had a big sports section. And, of course, our professional team was the Brooklyn Dodgers. And so uh, and it was easy to get to. I used to take a bus, and I'd get on the bus, and a half hour later, there I was in front of Ebbets Field, and I'd take the same bus home for a nickel. And so we went to a lot of games. I went to, My father only had off on uh, occasionally on Saturday afternoons and, and on Sundays. He worked six and a half days on the docks. And, you know, he'd always say, hey, I got two tickets for the Dodgers tomorrow. And, oh, I couldn't I couldn't wait, you know, we'd uh, go and, uh, you know, see doubleheaders. And there were day games. Night, night ball was, was relatively uh, new. They didn't play night ball until after World War II. And we were one of the few parks that did get lights early. And uh, But we did have night ball. But we, we Saturdays and Sundays were, were uh, day games. And Sundays, a lot of times, we had doubleheaders. It was wonderful. What grabs onto you when it comes to the game of baseball? What? Why is it so connected to you emotionally? Because you don't miss a game if there is a game, <laughs> you know, and you're in town. You, yeah, you know what it is? There's, there's no clock. You know, I mean, it gives you time to think. I think what's great about baseball is that it's a thinking man's game. It's not a game of just, uh, you know, constantly... Uh, uh, what would I say that we have in other sports where, you know, there there are factors there that we don't have any control of. Probably baseball is the one game in which, from the standpoint of managing, the manager has the most to do with maybe along with football. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea that I can get up, go get a hot dog, come back, and I haven't missed anything. You know, uh, I like it's long. It's, uh, it's uh, like I mentioned before, there's no clock. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of tradition. There's a lot of customs. Uh, we used to worry about how you wore your uniform, you know. We wanted to wear our pants this way, that way, you know. Uh, we wanted to wear, you know, we, we imitated the players. And uh, and it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a great game. I, I just, I love it and I still love it for that reason. You went to Jackie Robinson's first game. And I'm always interested yes. in the way that it's portrayed, right? Movies and, and then stories, books, whatever yeah. it might be. You were there for it in that environment. Describe what that was yes. like. Yes. Well, first of all, we all know about, uh, you know, Branch Rickey signing Jackie Robinson and the, the threat of him being signed by the league. Uh, don't forget, we had 16 teams. We had no teams any further than uh, than uh, uh, St. Louis, so the West Coast was minor league teams. Uh, television was just starting. All right, we had just gotten through World War II, so and we had just gotten through a big uh, uh, before World War II a big uh, uh, you know uh, what what am I going to say? I'm lost for words here. Uh, the uh, uh, where, where the nobody depression. works. A depression. We had a big depression, and then we had the war, and the war brought us out of the depression, and now we're after the war. And during the war, uh, something happened that hadn't happened in a long time, was we intermingled. 
with different nationalities, with uh, different races and what have you, uh, whether you like it or not. And in Brooklyn, you know, we were we were more familiar because of the people getting off the boats from coming from other countries that we were integrated a great deal. You know, in my I said I had sixty families living in my apartment house in Brooklyn. Well, we had everything there. Uh, we had people from Syria, Syrians, Norwegians, uh, Jewish people, uh, Irish, you know, Italians, uh, uh, you know, and uh, and so you know, uh, we went to school. We had we had black students. We had black teachers. We were already integrated. And here, uh, Ranch Ricky signing a lot of uh, Latinos during during the war and signing a lot of youngsters. Uh, he was a way ahead of the game. And then, of course, he was going to sign the first uh, black player in, in Jackie Robinson. And Jackie Robinson, of course, was a college uh, athlete, college uh, graduate, an officer in the Army. You know, he was a special guy. And he was a very, very good player. And uh, they voted, and the first vote was uh, was uh, 15 to 1 to keep him out. The Dodgers, the only team that voted for him to play. Can you imagine voting to see whether this guy could play in the league strictly because of his color? And this Unreal. Was, this was in the 40s. And so what happens is he, he then, uh, uh, the, the happy Chandler, we need these kind of politicians today with the guts to stand up for what they stand for. And uh, Happy Chandler was from Kentucky. And uh, not like the guy that's there now, the senator from there now. But uh, anyway, he stood up for what was right. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invoke the rights that the, that the uh, commissioner has. And I'm going to say that Jackie Robinson can play. And, he, and, of course, he lost his job right after that. He was fired. And he went home in disgrace to Kentucky. And uh, because of that, he got kicked out of his country club and so forth. But Happy Chandler was a true American and really a, a great hero to baseball. So Jackie Robinson then went to play in the minor leagues. He went to play up in Montreal, which was the AAA team for the Dodgers. And they used to broadcast some of their games back to Brooklyn. And we were always asking, how did Robinson do yesterday? You know, we were, Because we knew that a year later he was going to be playing for the Dodgers or at least we hoped he was going to be playing for the Dodgers, and uh, at least playing in the major leagues. And our whole mentality was, we got to beat the Yankees. I mean, we didn't care if he was green. We were already integrated. You know, we, we, we worked with, with black people. We played with them in our schools, and, and we were already integrated in our high school games and everything else. And so, you know, it wasn't as big a deal as it might have been in places that were, you know, the South and stuff that had no integration whatsoever. They didn't have uh, black children in school. They didn't have athletes or anything else. And there were none in any of the other professional sports. Zero. So anyway, uh, the following year, he did come with the Dodgers. And uh, opening day, it wasn't because of him. Traditionally, Frank Layden always looked at uh, opening day as my personal holiday. I always cut school that day. I played hooky, and uh, and I stayed home. And then I took the bus to Ebbetsfield, and I'll never forget. I was there, and this old gentleman came up to me. He was a black gentleman, and they let uh, people if they were if they were veterans into the ball game free that day. 
only 28,000 people showed up. And uh, what happened was this guy comes up to me and says, can you point out to me which of those, they were taking infield practice. So which of those gentlemen is Jackie Robinson? I looked down. I said, how can you miss Jackie Robinson? My goodness. Anyway, but this guy was colorblind. All he cared was how good a player was he. And I said, that's him out at second base there, number 42. And uh, and he said, well, he looks like he's going to be a fine player. And I always remember that. He's going to be a fine player. Well, anyway, uh, what can I say? Years later, I had a famous writer ask me, well, the Dodgers weren't great fans. They only had 28,000 people at the game when Jackie Robinson played his game. I said, yeah, it was a day game, and people in, in Brooklyn had to work for a living. And the opening day was it was a was a day game and and uh, and so they didn't have a big crowd. But he played and eventually they won it. They did win the world's championship. And he was he lived right up to the to the billing. He was a great player, mm-hmm. a great citizen, and uh, and uh, he didn't go with the Dodgers when they left for for California. He stayed and uh, he had a great career. And the next thing he did, he you know his life was. He worked for uh, Charfo Nuts. Was a uh, Charfo Nuts was a coffee company. I guess they're still in business, probably. He went. He worked. He worked with Martin Luther King and the, and the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And he had a great impact on our lives. Let's face it. And and I think the most important words ever said. And I think they're worth taking down. If anybody out there is listening to this wonderful show, this award-winning show, by the way. <laughs> Tony, on his tombstone is the words that he said. And I think I think they're the most important words that I have ever heard in my life. I don't care whether it's the, uh, the Koran or the Bible or the Book of Mormon or anything else. These words are so outstanding, and they say it all. And it is, a life is only as important as the impact it has on other lives. A life is only as important as the impact it has on other lives. Think about that today yeah. and what we're going through now in this uh, epidemic that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jackie Robinson said that, and, and I can't think of anything more important than that. We never remember him as being rich or anything else. He lived in Brooklyn. He died in Brooklyn, and uh, he's a great, great guy, you know. Oh, yep. yeah. Well, you, you talk about the experience of all that, how uh, Brooklyn had been integrated. Uh, you, yeah. and then being there 28,000 fans was the sense there. And I think you said that it wasn't that big a deal. That's one reason why it didn't sell out is because that's right. Like a black yeah, player I mean, player you know, there, it wasn't it. a big deal. Yeah. Well, we then, then we started to think about who's next, you know, who's going to come along. And yeah. you know, later on we had the great Don Newcomb and, and, uh, and Roy Campanella in the boom. And that was the beginning of the really, we had good teams in Brooklyn, but now we were going to have great teams. Mm-hmm. And it never stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's this perception that, you know, he steps out on the field for the first time and all of a sudden there's indecision and people are divided about the idea. But maybe that was the case somewhere else, Philadelphia, Boston, St. Louis. But that yeah. wasn't well, the case you know what? in Brooklyn. Is what you're Society saying. is always afraid of, of major changes like that. People feel threatened. I mean, now, what, what are we talking about? You know, of course, uh, we're listening to... to how our president and, and uh, a lot of people feel about uh, immigration to this country. Mm-hmm. What are they really worried about? They're worried about these people coming here and taking our jobs. 
they're, take, they're worried about people coming here and taking our place. And that's what they were worried about with, uh, with uh, the black uh, people. They were worried that maybe maybe Jackie Robinson. And by the way, the, the, if there was one negative that came out of the black black players, was not that after a while we had a lot of black players in, in playing baseball and football and basketball and everything else, but it killed the Negro leagues. They went out of business, so there were a lot of a lot of uh, people uh, who lost did lose their jobs. But for the, for the for the opposite reason that we're thinking, it was a, it wasn't the case, you know. In in sports, like anything else, hey, if you're good, you'll make it to the top. If you're the best, you'll survive. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are afraid that we challenge their jobs and and you know major changes. But I mean, you know, and I, and I'm part of, and and you know this from your history books. I said my father was second generation uh, Irish Catholic coming over from. From Ireland, his grandparents, and you know they used to have signs up: "Irish need not apply." And so the Irish went into becoming cops and firemen and uh, and those kind of you know those kind of civil jobs, garbage men and what have you, and uh, and and built the inter- infrastructure of our country. And uh, you know, but uh, with Jackie Robinson, mm-hmm. he was the beginning of 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 having. You know, people like President Obama. Yeah, was he? You know, was Brooklyn the perfect place for him? For the perfect place yes, for this was. to happen? Yeah, it was the perfect place because them bums, the people <laughs> that were the fans of the Dodgers, you know, they were not all. They, all they cared about was beating the Yankees. <laughs> My gosh, you know. What, what but we, you know what? The cream always comes to the top, and and you know what. That caliber of players, you know, coming, you know, uh, the black players joining with the Latin players of today is why baseball, all right, now is the best it has ever been. I mean, I, I saw, I saw, uh, you know, the great uh, Joe DiMaggio. I never saw Joe DiMaggio make. Just didn't happen, mm-hmm. you know. So what can I say? Hmm. So you were you were talking about how. You know, the game is the best it's ever been. The talent is incredible. I love the game. I don't mind a three-and-a-half-hour game. That's you and I. You and I are the old-school guy, and we're with it. Yeah. But we also understand it's losing a huge part of an audience that could be there for Major League Baseball. If you could change anything, or if you would, would there be any significant change that you would make to try and grab onto more of an audience for this great game? No, I can't think of anything. I think baseball is just fine the way it is. And I think that, you know, and I'm not against change. You know, there were there was times when people used to ask me about uh, what about, uh, you know, the three-point line. I think the three-point shot helped basketball in some ways. I think the athletes in basketball are the best they have ever been. I'm not sure the game is any better because of a rule change. But in baseball... I'll tell you what, the athletes have become bigger, faster. Uh, they jump, you know, they jump higher. They run faster. They hit the ball further. They throw it harder. I mean, you know, all the things that make baseball better has come about. And I don't know about anything I change. I kind of I go along with it now. And I'm, I'm not against records being broken or anything else, as long as it's done legally. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I don't know. There'll probably be a day that uh, the, what do they take uh, that makes the muscles big? Uh, steroids uh, or HGH? Steroids. Or, yeah. There may be a time that steroids was just part of our, our everyday lives and what have you. But generally speaking, <laughs> I don't. I don't think one way or the other is to, it's, it's important. Well, I like to see, you know, I like to see guys do it by the rules. I think the umpiring is better. I think the, the, the playing is better. I mean, the range of these players and their, their skills. Like I said, I never saw Joe DiMaggio dive for a ball. You know, it just didn't happen. And, uh, but now, I mean, you know, there's not a game that we don't see. You know, if you go to see the Angels play, Trout will climb over the top of the fence to catch a ball. You know, they did, that didn't happen in the past. Oh, yeah. What is Mike Trout as talented or is as good as any of the players you had a chance to see from Mays to, you know, Jackie? I, I so. to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he can do it all. And I like what I like about him, and I watch spring training, is he plays just as hard in a spring training game as he does in a regular season game. It looks to me, and maybe I'm wrong, I've never had any chance to be near him or anything. It appears to me, as a fan, that Trout loves to play. That he loves the game, oh, yeah. and he plays it that way. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you can get any better. I mean, he, you know, he, he, he plays as hard as he can play all the time, and he throws well, and he runs well, and he, he catches the ball, he hits the ball, you know. You throw it, he hits it. You hit it, he catches it, you know. <laughs> The old Willie Mays say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, which uh, I, I've always, you know, had this conversation with you. Which player uh, has he reminded you of most from all the different eras? I think Willie Mays. Yeah, Willie Mays is the best player I've ever seen. And I think that uh, in this modern era, maybe Willie Mays would have stole more bases and, and did some other things, you know. Jackie Robinson was great. Don't forget Jackie Robinson. You know, he causes pitches now with guys on third base there. Going to a stretch, you know, he stole home twenty-seven times or something. You know, this is insane. Uh, and you know, you know how hard it is to steal a base, to steal home. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I I think that uh, Willie Mays was was a great, great player. He's very durable. He could run. You know, he could take that extra base. He's great at sliding. You know, I don't know. You know, but I'll just throw him out there. <laughs> Hank Aaron was pretty good too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> As a fan, what was your most heartbreaking loss? Like as a child, listening to the game or being oh, at the well, game? Oh, well, it was the one that, that Bobby Thompson hit the home run. Yeah, off Ralph Franco. the playoff game, yeah. yeah. Yeah, off Ralph Franco. I knew Ralph Franco. Ralph Franco was a basketball player, too. He played for NYU. He was a good player, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it uh, uh, was heartbreaking because there we were with a chance to win the world's championship, and we lost it. And I really, which was a, a tough, cheap home run, you know. Did you hear the yeah. what was it, Russ Hodges on the call? I believe it was. Did, were you yeah. listening to that call? Live? I was at I was a freshman in college. Okay. And I was watching on TV with my with my friends in a in a, in a uh, you know a, a rec hall or some rec room. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know too much about it, but I knew I almost passed out. I <laughs> Were, were you like rooming with like Giants Once fans? Again, we got killed. We got killed. <laughs> yeah. oh, were you always like always my bad luck? Were you rooming with like Giants fans, Yankee fans? You know, I mean, you probably oh, had a mixture. I live, yeah. I live with them all the time. <laughs> I live with you know. I mean, you know what? If you were really a conservative person, you rooted for the Yankees, you rooted for Joe Lewis, and you rooted for Notre Dame. That way you never lost. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was that's a conservative per- person. 
But I mean, to play the Dodgers, the Dodgers are was way till next year. <laughs> what do I do? I mean, oh, God, here they go again. And then you had to put up with because the Yankees would go to the World Series. So it was another couple of weeks that you had to listen to the, oh, yeah. to the, to the Yankee fans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's no doubt about that. What was the most surprising yeah. moment in all your years of being around sports, watching sports, growing up with sports, any of that? The, the, the one moment that shocked you the most uh, that you knew was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing? Michael Jordan making the shot against the Jazz. You could just feel it and sense it as it was happening? Yeah, I thought I thought opportunity went out the window, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that it not only causes a chance at the championship, but, uh, you know, another game would have made a, a, a couple of million dollars for us, and it would have given us a chance. We were home, you know, with a chance to win it, yeah. what have you. Oh yeah, and uh, so it was. It was unfortunate, but it's one of those things. That's all. That's that's what sports are about. Sometimes you make them, sometimes you don't. You know. Yeah. Sometimes you cross the street, and you don't get hit with a car. You know. Do you do you uh, do you ever talk with Carmelo? Do you guys ever revisit like finals yes. games and stuff like How that? How about he called me on Christmas morning? Mm-hmm. When the same year as that shot was made, Carl gave me a car for Father's Day. That was nice of him. Yes, it was very nice of him. And, uh, yeah, I try to encourage those things. Oh, to to buy you stuff? (laughs) 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 Then why are you friends with me? That's what I want to know. It's a a rare, as as Scott said, professional sports is three blocks long. And everybody you know lives on those three blocks. (laughs) So sooner or later, you'll come across those people. And, uh, you know, I've had a chance to meet some of the giants of the sporting world, and they weren't just in basketball. I mean, and, and it's funny how people in other sports want to talk about basketball, and basketball players want to talk about something else. Like when I meet with a baseball player, I want to talk about baseball. I don't want to talk about <laughs> basketball. They want to talk about basketball. Yeah. So, but it's fun. Who, yeah. are you, who are you most excited to talk with out of all those guys? Well, I've had, I've had made. Probably, probably one of the great guys I had a chance to spend time with was the great, uh, the great Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. I always was excited about him. I was with him two years ago in, at a baseball game in his suite at uh, at Dodger Stadium, uh, and we 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 had a good chat and you know talked about the the good old days and what have you. But I've had uh, you know George Mikan. I had a, a a couple of occasions to spend time with him. And he was a very special guy, very intelligent and very appreciative of all that basketball had done for him and really, really a, a, a very good guy. But I don't know, I've, I've, you know, I I think of, uh, you know, uh, Larry O'Brien. You know, it was Larry O'Brien who was the first commissioner. Uh, he was the commissioner when I was got into the league. And I got to meet him on several, and I remember introducing him to my sister's and you got to remember, these are Irish Catholic girls, and and all they had to ask him was, "What were the Kennedys like? What was what was President Kennedy like?" And everything. And he reminded us then that it was his office that uh, that Nixon broke into. You know, wow. he was the head of the Democratic Party, and you know. But I always thought that meeting him, he was something special. You know. But I've had a lot of a lot of good people. You know, I've been fortunate to know from. People, uh, Sam Battistone, who gave me a chance to, to, to be in this league and, 
to, uh, you know, be a coach and a general manager and what have you. And Larry Miller was very good to me. And, you know, I have no complaints. Yeah. And I always said this. People ask me, how about, how about working? I said, well, it beat working and it beat not working. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have, um, you have always had this big heart for children with special needs. Um, those facing life-threatening illnesses, things like that. Um, you and I have had a chance to be working there with uh, the Sons of Baseball Foundation, as well as many yeah. other uh, charitable causes. Where, where do you well, believe that it, comes from? Where, what's behind that with your drive and passion to be so giving? Well, I think, I think growing up in Brooklyn. And, you know, I grew up during a time when, you know, we, we're now we're in a pandemic and we're concerned about it. When I was a youngster, we were concerned about polio. We had a president, uh, Roosevelt, who had polio, and we used to have the March of Dimes and what have you. You know, to me, you know, being around healthy, strong, big athletes all the time, one of the joys I had of being coach of the Jazz was taking the Jazz players every year, and we'd, we'd call practice off. I'd say, hey, no practice tomorrow, but we're going to go up to the Children's Hospital, uh, which we're very fortunate in this community to have. Uh, have a wonderful hospital like that, and uh, and take them take the, the players up because they are so gifted and a gift given by God that they're big and they're strong and they're tough and they're rich and they're doing all these things. And then to see those who uh, there's nothing that breaks your heart like seeing a uh, you know I I I tell you there's something I, I tear up when I see the ad on TV and I see it at least once a day especially now I'm watching TV all the time, is the St. Jude's Hospital. And Danny Thomas, what he did with those children, that the families, that they don't pay a cent, you know, right. to travel, to live, to do anything, and those poor children with cancer, I mean. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know what it was. I, I hope it was maybe, maybe it was my father's upbringing. My father was always one to say, you know, hey, take care of those that can't take care of themselves. Take care of those who count on you to take care of them. For instance, my father would get on you if you didn't leave a good tip. He wanted a good tip. He says, those people make their living getting tips. And and whether it's a cab driver or the, or the, the guy that opens the door of the car, you know, and and uh, or it's a bartender, or whoever it is, they're counting on tips. You know, don't be afraid to be generous. And I always remember that, you know. I can't take it with me. There's no... Uh, there's no uh, Brinks trucks in a funeral procession, so you know if I if I can't, so I try to help others out, and uh, you know I don't know. I just got a big booklet here. I just was reading today about about the Huntsman family and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you know giving of giving to people who who are less fortunate than yourself. What else can you do? And we're we're learning that now because this thing is not going to sign our ass. Let's face it, you know. Yeah, that's like we can't help others now. When can you? Well, I love to hear you say that. So it's it's essentially the Brooklyn way that drove you to be so giving for so many. Sure, different. like I said, I was raised by my neighborhood. Yeah, you know, emotional. Yep, I used to kid. I used to say across the uh, across the hall from me in my big apartment house. I used to go to school every day, all through grammar school, all through high school, with uh, with a Greek kid, Georgie, and I remember Georgie's parents used to say, and as he was going out the door, Georgie, have you got your homework? 
And my family, as I was going out the door, they'd say, Frankie, you got your lunch. Yeah, man. And you should be, you should make yourself available to help others. Uh-huh. That's, that's what it's all about, you know? It's absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. I love to hear I that. I mean, you know, I, I always thought, you know, and whatever it is, uh, you don't, you don't do it for you. You do it for them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's now I, I, I send out for food, you know, have it delivered to the house here. Hey, you tip the guy good money. He's trying to make a living in tough times, you know, and stuff. Totally. Uh, everybody helping each other. 